This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Glad to be with you this morning. It is Inauguration Day, and we are just moments away from Brandon Johnson being sworn in as the 57th mayor of Chicago. And the new group of 50 aldermen will also make their roles official for the next four years. Now, the ceremony is already underway at the University of Illinois Chicago's Credit Union One Arena, and it kicked off with a bang. The packed agenda so far has included a choir performance, dance performance, presentation of colors, Pledge of Allegiance, and now the national anthem. As the ceremony continues to unfold, we will be with you every step of the way. Checking in with folks on the ground there, and later we're going to hear from Brandon Johnson himself with the inauguration speech, his first as Chicago's new mayor. First, to get some insight on what to expect from today's ceremony and to give a look ahead to what comes next, we're going to turn to our Inauguration Day panel here with me in studio. With us is Jaime Dominguez, a professor at Northwestern University. Welcome back, Jaime. Thank you so much. Appreciate Good to it. see you. Of course, likewise. Connie Mixon's here, too. She's a professor of political science and director of the Urban Studies Program at Elmhurst University. Hey, Connie. Great to be here. Thanks. And Alden Lowry, WBEZ's Data Projects Editor. Hey, Alden. Hey, Sasha. Happy Inauguration Day, folks. Yeah. <laughs> big, big day. We are watching this ceremony from the studio, of course. I mean, what are you looking forward to seeing today, Jaime? Uh, I'm looking to see him uh, as a someone that's new uh, to politics, per se, from a governing standpoint. Uh, for him to just, um, it's important for him to project just, uh, you know, just being decisive. Uh, he's going to have a very structured administration. He has a lot of issues in front of him, but I, I don't think today's it's not about proposing policy solutions, but just more like his vision in terms of what he's going to do in terms of helping the city to continue to um, attract businesses so we can maintain, uh, we can as a city maintain competitive economically. Also, I think it's important that uh, on the education front, that's going to be a, a big task in terms of um, not only the elected boards that are coming up in 25, but also just, uh, you know, uh, the contract also that's coming up with the teachers. So uh, I think... That's what we're going to see a little bit of today. Yeah. What about you, Connie? What are your eyes watching as the day unfolds? Well, today will be full of a lot of pop and circumstance. And it's really Mayor Brandon Johnson's last day to really enjoy the victory of winning before getting to work. He's got a full day. Mm -hmm. He's going to meet citizens at City Hall. There's a ball tonight. So he gets to sort of revel in the joy of winning today. Um, I'll be interested to hear his speech because I think certainly if we look back over history at previous mayoral inaugural speeches, they sort of set the tone for what to expect of the incoming yeah. administration. So I'm looking forward point. to providing some analysis of his speech today. Yeah, for sure. You know, today's ceremony will include the the swearing in of all 50 city council members, uh, the city clerk, the city treasurer. All of it building up to new Mayor Brandon Johnson giving his oath of office. And then, of course, that big speech Connie just mentioned. I mean, what are you, Alden, hoping that he tackles in that address? Uh, I would be looking for him to set the tone to some degree in terms of the relationship uh, building aspect of the job that he's going to have to do. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of talk about the first 100 days and a lot of, you know, talking about policy. And we're going to be talking about some of the stuff that he'll need to tackle uh, on issues also. 
But uh, but on this day, if he gives us an idea of what kind of mayor he's going to be in terms of his relationship with the council, and then also with the relationships with different constituencies in the city, for the mm-hmm. folks who are very well versed around issues of, of crime and violence, uh, and there you know there are people see that issue different ways. Um, and I saw we saw him you know kind of tackle that to some degree during the campaign. Uh, but you know now he's going to actually have to make some decisions, and what will those decisions be? How will they fit with what people want, and how can he negotiate all of that? And in some respects, keep everybody happy, or at least reasonably happy. And so I'll be looking to hear what he, that, what that itself say is a task. It's a challenge. How, how do you keep everybody happy in the city of Chicago? Impossible. Yeah, pretty much. But uh, <laughs> but in this role, yeah, um, he. I mean, that in some respects that is his job. Is his job because he's representing everybody. So. Yeah. Well, you know, Jaime, I'm curious what you hope for him to tackle in this address. You mentioned a moment ago, I mean, this is still sort of a celebratory moment, not really the time to dig into policy just yet. But I mean, what would you what are some of the top buttons you you want him to hit? Well, I think as as a bridge builder, because this whole campaign was based off of that, uh, being able to work with all different constituencies, uh, old guard, the new guard. Uh, I I think uh, first and foremost, because it's also a national issue is is immigration, particularly the situation with the migrant um, crises. Um, but I think it's important that he, uh, you know, we know that that's a multi-level, multi-layered um, uh, situation that's going to require the cooperation, not just of the city of Chicago, but also county government, the state government, and also just lo- local jurisdictions, other villages. Uh, but one thing I would say is that um, regardless of what, what the new mayor does is that he does have the backing of public opinion behind him of a lot of these issues, particularly on, on um the migrant crisis. Also, I think in terms of just uh, being uh, more open and because we have a new influx of new voices, young voices in the city council, I think it's going to be important for him that he also uh, projects that he is going to be a good listener. I think that's going to be very important, particularly for any new mayor uh, to be able to listen. But at the end of the day, I think he's going to, um, you know, uh, that's going to be a big issue. And also, I think education. Yeah. Um, Because, you know, he did uh, speak a lot about representation during his uh, the primary and also the general, and that's a, a big issue for him. He's going to try as best as possible that that his new administration, the, the different government agencies, kind of reflect that diversity uh, of the city. So I think that's going to be very important for him going forward to do that. All right. If you're just tuning in, this is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. And today is Inauguration Day. We are getting updates from UIC campus where the ceremony is taking place. We're going to be discussing what's ahead for the new Johnson administration. And uh, we are going to turn now to folks on the ground at the ceremony. Uh, I believe WBEZ politics reporter Mariah Wolfel is there on the UIC campus and is standing by. Hey, Mariah. Hey, Sasha. Hey, thanks for joining us. What, what's the mood around you? Um, you know, really celebratory. Obviously, this is a, a pop and circumstance type of day. We've got poetry. We've got different national anthems. We've got a dance performance. And so people are really here to kind of celebrate the capstone of a marathon couple of weeks of preparation for Mm -hmm. Brandon Johnson. You know, Chicago has one of the shortest turnarounds from election to taking office. And and so people, I think, are are in high spirits. Yeah. How many folks would you say are there at the arena? Well, it's a pretty full house and this arena seats 9,500 people in total. And so I I would definitely say thousands for sure. I mean, looking like 5,000, 6,000 Wow. What's happening on stage right now? 
Um, I believe we're getting ready for an invocation. So we had a couple of national anthems. We had a we had a national anthem and then a black national anthem and then um, I, I believe we're going to be hearing from the Reverend Dr. Otis Moss, who's known for his work on racial justice reform. Um, shortly uh, earlier, they seated every you know all the special guests. They announced their names. There were rounds of applause. Governor J.B. Pritzker, um, Illinois Senators Dick Durbin and Tammy Duckworth, mm-hmm. Mayor Lori Lightfoot took the stage. She got a standing ovation. CTU President Stacey Davis Gates is on stage. Um, and so it's kind of been everyone getting seated. We've got a lot to get through before we hear um, the mayoral act himself, or he'll be the mayor at that point um, after his swearing in. And just so we're clear on, on what, what else is expected to happen today, uh, it'll be Johnson plus all of the alders getting sworn in. Now, are the alders, are they sworn in one by one, like graduation style? How does that work? see I I didn't cover the inauguration in 2019 I joined the City Hall beat in the middle of Mayor Lori Lightfoot's tenure so this is my first inauguration but my understanding is that they do the City Council pretty quickly just because it's 50 members there are 13 new members so it's a it's a big you know first first day for for a dozen new aldermen um, but we won't hear from those people individually so we won't get aldermanic speeches Johnson will be the the only one to kind of give his prepared remarks gotcha and so what'll happen Mariah after the big ceremony today So after the ceremony, Johnson plans to have an open house at City Hall where he welcomes community members and groups, the public, to come and see the fifth floor. Um, My understanding is he'll kind of give a a little bit of a tour of what the, the mayor's you know, fifth floor looks like. And then he's going to have an inaugural ball tonight with special guests at 7 o'clock. And so he's kind of celebrating all day long. I mean, in 2019, we saw Mayor Lori Lightfoot get right to work, signing an executive order meant to curb aldermanic prerogative. Um, but, you know, I'm not sure whether whether the mayor-elect has anything like that planned. But, mm-hmm. I mean, we should all be prepared for him to start getting to work as soon as possible after he's mayor around noon today. That's Mariah Wolfel, WBEZ. Thanks so much for checking in with us. Thanks for having me. All right, so let's go now to hear just a a bit of the uh, invocation. It's by the Reverend Dr. Otis Moss III from Trinity United Church of Christ. Homeless families and vulnerable veterans find space and voice in this administration. May the constituents, we as constituents of this grand metropolis of possibility, Engage our imagination to dream of a city that is yet to be born. One city not divided by income. One city not divided by race. One city not divided by ethnicity or migrant status. A city where children on the west and south side have the same opportunity as those upon the north and Gold Coast. We invoke the Holy Spirit to cover the Johnson family and empower this mayor to lead with humility and strength, integrity and compassion, vision and faithfulness, justice and equity. This is our prayer as citizens of this municipality of big shoulders we call Chicago. May those who believe in the possibility and potential of this city, the leadership of Brandon Johnson and the power of the Holy Spirit, Speak with authority using the ancient words of affirmation, Amen and Ashe.
To deliver an original poetry reading, please welcome the inaugural... That was the Reverend Dr. Otis Moss III giving the invocation. If you're just tuning in, this is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Today is Inauguration Day, and we are getting updates from UIC campus where the ceremony is taking place right now. We're also discussing what's ahead for the new Johnson administration. A reminder that my panel in studio today is Northwestern's Jaime Dominguez, Elmhurst's Connie Mixon, and WBEZ's Alden Lowry. All right, folks, let's talk about the transition of power here. When is the moment, Connie, that Lightfoot is actually no longer the top decision maker for the city? As soon as Brandon Johnson is sworn in. Okay. So whatever time that happens, her job's over. around noon, she's done. That's it for her. <laughs> yep. uh, we know Lightfoot and Johnson, they, they've met and they've, they've shared, uh, she shared advice. Uh, is more of that expected today, you think, Alden? Um, you know, I don't know. I mean, today's going to be a really busy day. Uh, I don't know if they're going to have an opportunity to really talk. Uh, there may be, uh, and it kind of depends on the relationship that uh, that that uh, Mayor Mayor Elect or Mayor Johnson uh, and former Mayor Lightfoot uh, have built. Uh, if there will be a continuing relationship there, but uh, there is no like set aside time. I think for some kind of conversation of that of that sort. And of course, worst case scenario, because I got to go there, Connie. Disaster strikes in the middle of this inauguration. <laughs> Who's at the helm? Well, if Brandon Johnson has not been sworn in. It is Lori Lightfoot. I just had to ask. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, any any idea what the afternoon looks like for the new city leaders? I know we just talked with uh, WBEZ's Mariah Wolfel there, who says uh, it's a lot going on today. I think there's a, a meet and greet Johnson's got, mm-hmm. um, and then the People's Ball. Yeah, I think for him, uh, as my fellow panelists said, it's, it's about, I think, just him making his rounds with the different uh, folks. Um who represent a myriad of different interests. Uh, and so for him, again, I think it's very important from the get-go just to demonstrate that he's a person who's going to listen and who's at least uh, will be cognizant of, of uh, attending to perhaps the concerns and issues that um, different constituencies uh, that helped elect him, mm-hmm. um, you know, he'll be uh, re- responsive to that. Let's take a pause. That's Jaime Dominguez, Alden Lowry, and Connie Mixon. They're going to stick around, and we hope that you do too for much more coverage of the city of Chicago's inauguration day. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Chicago is getting a new mayor today. Over the next four years, Brandon Johnson has promised to make Chicago work for the working people of the city, not the 1%, and to address the root causes of the city's biggest problems. Here with me to discuss Johnson's vision and challenges that lie ahead for his administration are Jaime Dominguez, professor at Northwestern University, Connie Mixon, who's a professor of political science and director of the Urban Studies Program at Elmhurst University, and Alden Lowry, WBEZ's data projects editor. So the Johnson team now really has to transition from campaigning, visioning, promising, to actually getting the work done as decision makers. Not an easy process, right, Connie? Not at all. And they're going to have to get to work right away. I mean, they have a pretty extensive to-do list. We've already talked about the migrant crisis. Mm-hmm. There's education. We're coming into the summer months with Memorial Day, um, where we typically see crime spike. Mm-hmm. Um, we need a new police superintendent. Um, and there are you know, a huge laundry list of these broad progressive policy goals and promises that Brandon Johnson made during the campaign that he is going to do his best to try to enact. And then, of course, you have the whole relationship with city council. So city council had already passed their own resolution Mm -hmm. for leadership and committee structures. 
And Brandon Johnson has since proposed his unity plan. And I just looked it up last night. It's actually on the agenda for the city council meeting on the 24th city council's organization that they plan a vote for it. And by all counts, it sounds like Brandon Johnson has the votes he needs for his unity plan Mm. to put his own chairs Interesting. Yeah, I mean, in in many ways, Alden, he's got a team here of people who have criticized those in power, and now they're in power. Have you ever seen this handled well? (laughs) Um, uh, Well, it's certainly going to be a little messy, uh, without a doubt. Um, I I mean, this is one of the challenges of any mayor coming into office, and I think looking back on Lori Lightfoot's time, uh, in office, this was, you know, perhaps, you know, aside from the pandemic and, and issues with crime was one of the things that she was dinged on quite a bit was how she kind of managed that relationship with other members of the council. Mm-hmm. And so Brandon Johnson is walking in and the council is has very clearly indicated that it is looking for more power. And so how this all plays out uh, is and especially with this being on the plate right away, right out of the gate is going to establish what, uh, you know, kind of uh, what the uh, what the power structure is going oh, to yeah. be. And I imagine that he is certainly still going to get some level of pushback in the same way that uh, Mayor Lightfoot did. Members of Johnson's administration, uh, they've got backgrounds as activists and organizers, kind of like him, uh, which means that they're going to bring um, strategic and uh, coalition building skills to the table. Uh, we talked recently on the program with Amisha Patel, who's a senior advisor to, to Mayor Johnson. We discussed environmental justice priorities. I want to play a little bit of her talking about how those skills are going to inform how the mayor governs. We're really excited to build on the things that are working and expand and deepen the places that need to be expanded and deepened. Um, you know, I think that, again, um, how we govern, people will see it as we go, but the approach to governing is absolutely about really deep integration with community. One of the things that I really love about the Chief Sustainability Officer Angela Tovar's approach to um, thinking about what that climate office looks like is that she's, you know, is co-creating that with community leaders, with environmental justice leaders who are at the table making decisions and helping to set policy. Jaime, what are your thoughts on what she said there, this collaborative approach to governing? Yeah, definitely. There's going to have to be that. And again, as as a person new to the table, he's going to have to also rely on uh, established uh, bureaucrats and established uh, elected officials who know how to get things done. And so for him, I think it's going to be uh, him trying to carefully balance the infusion of, of new voices and the different visions that sometimes may come in conflict with, with kind of the old political guard. But at the same time, it, it's all about, as a city, trying to make the city uh, economically competitive. Mm-hmm. And I think there's going to be some pushback in terms of the way he goes about that. We know that he's taken a lot of flack for um, um, you know, his uh, tax uh, propositions and how that could kind of scare people away. I know uh, Governor Pritzker has already kind of Balked at his idea of right this uh, kind of um, transactional tax on financial institutions. So I think he's going to learn on the job, mm-hmm. uh, and he's going to realize that governing is hard. You know, it's one thing to have an electoral multiracial uh, coalition and then transforming that into a, an effective uh, uh, governing coalition. That's such so, a good point. Yeah, so we'll see how he does. I know we're as uh, rooting for him. We always want um, uh, our government to be as 
efficient as possible. But he's going to make some mistakes, but that's okay. As long as he learns from them and tries to do better, uh, then I think he's off to a good start. He'll be off to a good start. Ooh, but learning on the job at this level, though. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Alden, what, what are your thoughts on, like, again, who he's bringing to the table? You know, I, I think it's, it's, it, it's, uh, there's a couple ways to look at this. So, you know, from a philosophical standpoint, you're going to want people in positions and uh, commissioners, folks who are going to be running agencies are going to be helping to set policy. You want them to be in agreement with what your vision is for the city. And that's great. And so what we may see is a fairly well-run, coordinated uh, effort to get some of the things done that Brandon Johnson wants to get done. The problem is, is that even if he has what he needs at the city council level in terms of all the manic support in order to get some of these things passed, you know, those things still are going to have to resonate with the folks who are going to be impacted by that. So if a number of these issues, as, as uh, Jaime was mentioning, if if he needs this real estate transfer tax in order to make some of those things happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so what what is what does the, the business landscape look like for that? What would their reaction be if that actually measure gets passed? If there are things that he needs done in Springfield uh, uh, and if, you know, Governor Pritzker is pushing back on, on some of his ideas, you know, what what does that mean? Because there are some things that that the mayor of Chicago can't get done unless there's a, a change in law in Springfield. And we saw uh, Lori Lightfoot run into a little bit of that as well. Right. Um, so the ideas sound good on the ground. They sound great, uh, you know, in the bubble of Chicago, in this kind of progressive bubble. But when the, those policies impact people who are not necessarily aligned philosophically or who are in different positions of power and different levels of government, mm-hmm. you know, that's when you can kind of run into the rub. And so the relationships that he builds, the way that he can articulate these changes in a way that it feels like it's a win for others mm. is is a real skill and that's going to be part of part of his his job as as mayor to get these things done. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We're discussing the swearing in of Brandon Johnson as the city's next mayor. We're getting analysis from Alden Lowry, who's a data projects editor for WBEZ, Jaime Dominguez, who's a political science reporter at uh, Northwestern University, and Connie Mixon uh, as well from Elmhurst University. Now, just to keep folks Posted on where we're at with the inauguration, the city clerk, Anna Valencia, was just sworn in. And right now, the city council members, they are being sworn in. Uh, We'll hear uh, the mayor-elect become the mayor shortly, and we're going to bring you his inauguration address live. But let's take uh, just a a few moments here of the city council being sworn in. Alderperson Raymond Lopez. Alderperson Stephanie Coleman. Alderperson David Moore. Alderperson Derek Curtis. Alderperson Matt O'Shea. Alderperson Jeanette Taylor. Alderperson Ronnie Moses. If you're listening now, this is the city council being sworn in, and it's happening in order of wards. All right, so let's pick up where we left off, panel. Connie, a question for you. We were talking a moment ago about the, the skills, transferable skills, if you will, uh, when it comes to, to being mayor of this, running this city. Um, these skills are valuable in many ways, but they don't always lend well to quick action. What is your sense of how quickly voters want to see Johnson move? Oh, voters want very quick they action. Want They're very yesterday. impatient, right? Yeah. <laughs> the, and I mean, I think that was part of... The challenges with Mayor Lightfoot. I mean, she had two years of a pandemic 
of a four-year term and a lot of other challenges. So there were a lot of criticisms of Lori Lightfoot for promises that weren't kept. And they, you know, Lightfoot was elected on this wave of wanting change. Brandon Johnson has been elected on this wave of wanting change. And Brandon Johnson, for a lot of his very broad progressive policy proposals, these aren't quick fixes. These are things that, you know, may take a generation to actually see substantive change. And Mm. so voters, I don't know how much patience. A generation, you said. Right. I mean, if we're talking about crime, if we're talking about getting at the root of our persistent legacy of segregation, of crime, of poverty. These are things that don't get fixed in four years. Mm -hmm. If we're looking at our school system, the changes that he wants to make are going to take a generation, but you have to start somewhere. And what I think is is important to recognize is that, and and I've said this several times before, and Jaime even mentioned it a few minutes ago, it's, it's a lot easier to run for office than it is to actually govern. Oh, for sure. And But Brandon Johnson has taken some steps. For example, his um, chief of staff, Richard Guidas, is, you know, a longtime insider. For Brandon Johnson, who doesn't have that much experience in elected office, only being a Cook County commissioner, not having worked for the big bureaucracy of the city of Chicago, Guidas should be somebody who with who can guide him and help him navigate the complex bureaucracy that is the city of Chicago and also brings some credence with the business community as well. Jaime, how how should Johnson and his team balance needing to get something done quickly and also getting it done right? I want to hear your thoughts too. Um, Well, you know, one thing I'm thinking about right now in terms of just, you know, uh, immediate response um, or solutions that voters can kind of to speak to is I'm thinking about just the, the whole CPD and, and how he moved quickly to uh, put in an interim superintendent and the fact that he's made it clear that he wants to make sure that that's one of that's going to be his first priority to make sure that there is cohesion within the rank and file and there is support behind the, the new superintendent. Because I think that um, what we saw in downtown Chicago a few weeks ago and even before that in terms of these crime sprees going on, I think he just has to be I think really uh, affirmative in that, and and show uh, decisiveness in in the in decisions that he makes, and and realize that listen, it's, you're not going to be able to please every constituency, but if you want to always try to meet, get as critical of a mass of support as possible, because then I think that lends uh, uh, gives confidence to him and his administration to to put forward and carry out and execute. Right. Uh, if it's a new, a public safety plan for the summer, then I, I think people can get behind that. If, if again, there is just support at every level within yeah. the CPD. Does he have tools in his toolbox right now to act quickly, Alden? Um, I mean, he's got some decisions that he's going to have to make very quickly, um, and so um, so you know, you know, this this choice for a superintendent um, uh, dealing with this migrant crisis, at least in the short term. And uh, and some are some are violence. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're always expecting it. We, we know it's going to happen. And so being very proactive, I think, uh, and 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 doing something, you know, uh, you know, kind of putting forth uh, an effort to get ahead of what we know is going to happen, I think, will, is, is something that can be done. Whether or not it may be the very right call or not, you know, will, will be debatable. But uh, but I think acting is going to be very important. If he makes a really solid choice for a superintendent, I think that will help as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's got some some ability with these very 
these uh, things that are right on his plate at the at day one. Uh, but he also has, you know, the ability to to speak and to talk. Um, and so, you know, I would think that that is an opportunity for him over the next three months or so as he is weighing these options. He's talking with Chicagoans about what he vision, what he envisions and what he hopes to accomplish in the, in the, in the, in the immediate uh, future here. Uh, and giving people some sense of confidence that he has a handle on this uh, and that he's thinking of them as he's uh, making these choices. We know one thing that eats up time is bureaucracy, Connie. So how can the mayor cut through bureaucracy to get things done? Well, it's going to be tough because, I mean, he's got some top appointments, but many are lightfoot holdovers that are still going to be in the bureaucracy. And so navigating the complexity of all of it, all of it is a challenge for anyone. Um, I think his skills as a retail politician will serve him well. He is very a very good retail politician, and he's already proven that reaching out to some of the more conservative alder persons, for example, um, his unity plan is keeping some of the more conservative alder persons in their chair positions. Now, a few minutes ago, outgoing Mayor Lori Lightfoot got a a warm round of applause, and she shared a few words with the mayor-elect. Now we're actually going to hear the the prayer for peace and guidance from Imam Hassan Alai, followed by the mayor's oath of office and Johnson's inaugural address. Let's listen. Indeed, God commands you to render trust to whom they are due. And when you judge between people, to judge with justice. Excellent is that which God instructs you. Indeed, God is ever hearing and seeing. Almighty God, I join hands with my brothers and sisters here today to pray for you to ask for your blessings and guidance as we inaugurate our new leaders into positions of responsibility. May their hearts be filled with a deep sense of love and compassion for all people, regardless of race, gender, religion, or social status. May their leadership be marked by honesty, integrity, and a deep commitment to serving the common good. As we invoke your blessings upon us, Give us a still and quiet heart and mind. Make us humble in the use of freedom, just in the exercise of power, and generous in the protection of weakness. Inspire the leaders who direct our city and our state that they may guide it wisely and well. Give them the wisdom to know what is right and the courage to do it. May our personal faith Give us strength to act honestly and well in all matters before us. Help us to be moral leaders and guides for all people, and especially Mayor Johnson. As he's about to take the oath, may his efforts of goodness, peace, and security be blessed with insight and guided by understanding and wisdom. May this morning be a new era for our city and our state as we humble ourselves and acknowledge you alone as our Savior and Lord. Almighty God, you are the source of life, peace, and love. Accept our prayers today and every day. Amen.
All right, that was a uh, prayer for peace and guidance from Imam Hassan Ali. We are just a moment away here from Mayor Johnson's, Mayor-elect Brandon Johnson's uh, oath of address as well as as his uh, inauguration speech. Until he uh, arrives, let's continue chatting, uh, panel. Um, We were talking a moment ago about cutting through that bureaucracy, uh, Connie, uh, in order to get things done. Uh, What about city council, Jaime? I mean, what tools would you say that they have at their disposal to act quickly? Well, I think that, uh, you know, particularly the young people, the new voices that are coming in, I think that um, there's, I think, support around, for example, around issues of environment. I think that's something that that, um, he can get, I think, Good support in, in the city council. Um, I think also it, it, he has to also show and demonstrate which he has so far in terms, in terms of his uh, the, the primary and the general election in terms of being a good communicator, mm-hmm. right? So I think that's going to be very very important. Um, he also I think doesn't want to come across as uh, pr- previous mayors, uh, with the exception of perhaps Lightfoot, where they roll kind of with an iron fist, right? So this kind of even though on paper it's like a weak mayor, strong council, it hasn't necessarily played out that way conceptually mm-hmm. it's supposed to be, but when you implement it, it's a lot different. So I think uh, for him, just knowing that uh, he's going to be very inclusive, I, that's the word that really comes to me in terms of everything that he does, particularly as a newcomer, because he's going to, and he's a consensus builder. So I think that's going to be a strength for him, helping to build consensus and, and, and because that's going to uh, help him establish uh, support and allies, which he's going to need because he's new. And so that's why he's going to have to really... Uh, walk this fine balance between right uh, him, his vision, uh, but at the same time uh, lending to those who have expertise in particular areas of how to get things done in government, particularly bureaucracy. Yeah, let's talk more about day one priorities, Alden. Thoughts of of, of what those priorities would be for this new city council. Uh, I mean, in some respects, uh, you know, their priorities are going to be very similar to the, to the mayor's. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, the, the migrant crisis to me is just something that's just kind of laying there. You know, you've got literally dozens of migrants coming into the city each day. And uh, we already we were already kind of uh, busting at the seams in terms of our shelter system handling the homeless that are already here. And so we're adding, you know, dozens, even as many as 100 a day to that on top of that. So uh, so that's a real crisis. Uh, Mayor Lightfoot has uh, uh, helped get some some funding available uh, as a way to give uh, the, the incoming mayor a, mm-hmm. a buffer uh, to, to help with that. But uh, but that's only going to last what maybe to the end of June. Uh, her budget director was saying so. Uh, so, you know, this is this is something immediately that that the mayor and the council have to figure out how they're going to uh, to address, if nothing else, until the end of the year. But mm-hmm. there, there, there really does need to be a long term solution. And, but some questions could be where do we house folks? You know, so, uh, you know, they've been doing a kind of a piecemeal neighborhood by, by neighborhood approach, uh, finding a facility that that feels suitable. Mm-hmm. Um, but the you know, question has come up, you know, do we look for like a central location that can house potentially thousands of individuals. Uh, and I think we're at that point where there has to be some very serious consideration. So that, I think, would be a very meaningful conversation to, to have uh, at, at day one for, for both uh, incoming Mayor Johnson and, uh, and, the, and, and the, the council. city council. Yeah, yeah I mean, and, and Connie, as, as Alden talks about the long-term solutions there, do, do you think voters shifting expectations away from immediate to long-term results is possible or useful? Well, it would be extremely useful if they could, um, but I'm not sure that 
citizens in general pay that much attention, right? That they have the attention span yeah. that they're following. You know, we all follow this on a day-to-day basis. I, I agree. And how that- forgiving are folks? You know, when when things yeah, not not are, not very aren't going up to speed, yeah. right? And I think you know the migrant crisis is certainly something from day one, and I think we're going to have to go to the federal government um, and ask for more money to deal with the migrant crisis. And we've got Memorial Day coming up; crime right away has got to be on the agenda. What I th- I think is really interesting is Brandon Johnson's selection of. Um, Alderperson Carlos Ramirez Rosa as the floor leader and also chair mm-hmm. of the powerful zoning committee. Mm-hmm. So he's relatively young. He's yeah. Chair, what do you think about that pick? Yeah, he's chair of the Democratic Socialist mm-hmm. um, Caucus, and he was a very influential Johnson backer during the campaign. But he represents areas of like Logan Square, Hermosa, Irving Park. Albany Park, sort of in that area, and has really pushed for more affordable housing. That's been one of his top agenda items. And I think there's a lot of pushback from the business community and developers if he is going to push for, you know, more affordable housing um, and taxes, Mm -hmm. that that could be a challenge. And, you know, but on the other hand, you know, housing in, in Chicago has never been equitable. It's always been located in poor minority neighborhoods. The burden has never been shared equitably. And we look at neighborhoods, on, particularly on the north side, where there's very little affordable housing. Mm-hmm. So there's good arguments to make. But, you know, there's that pushback. There's that rub, right? So that's more of the progressive agenda. And how he balances this, I think, will be continue to be a challenge. And that's- it's a gamble. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, to the selection, I think particularly. I see you both nodding. <laughs> yeah, I, I think the, the selection, I think, is one that is probably very well applauded among the housing advocacy community. Right. Here's somebody who is in this role that they typically don't have in that seat. But as you were saying, Connie, the person in that seat has to work a lot with people who are not necessarily on the bandwagon with regard to affordable housing. And and, you know, for developers, the one of the real tricky parts are for them, for those who are even very interested in affordable housing, is how do you build uh, a development? How do you make the numbers work in a way that you clear what you'd like to clear, considering all of the costs, mm-hmm. um, but keep the costs low enough, at least the, uh, the, the cost in terms of what people are paying to live there, low enough that it can accommodate what it costs to build it. And that is a very tricky space. Um, so, uh, so yeah, this is going to be interesting. It's, 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 uh, the, the, the move is good on some level because it gets some thinking in that role that we don't typically have. Right. Um, but there is still going to be a lot of work, and it's, those conversations aren't always going to be very, very nice. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be a good exercise for, you know, uh, how to be a good negotiator, essentially, right? Because you're going to have to, on the issue of, like, housing, and I know that that, you know, uh, the CACD poll that we put together in terms of issues that were important to voters, uh, affordable housing was number three. So that's an issue I think that he really has to address. But at mm-hmm. the same time, uh, the business community, particularly the developers, even financial institutions, are going to have to be on board with at least, you know, maybe there's not just a single bullet, but there's perhaps two or three different uh, strategies to try and get there to to appease the different constituencies. So as I said, you know, being new to this, he's going to learn. But for, I think the most important thing for him, regardless of what issue he's tackling, whether it's education or whether it's in finance or whether it's in economic development, it's going to be very, very important for him to develop and build a, a critical mass of support 
uh, within the city council, also working, uh, this is going to benefit him, being the, a person from the neighborhood who is a community organizer, working with the strong, robust um, uh, social service infrastructure that we have in Chicago. So even on the migrant crisis, I mean, it, 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 it's a, a precarious situation, but the city of Chicago, I would say maybe outside of New York, is as best prepared as any other city to handle this because historically Chicago has been a very immigrant-friendly destination and has been at the forefront in terms of um, helping to uh, integrate immigrants uh, in a humane and, and safe way. That And again, that's what voters, even in our poll showed, right? more than 70% of white voters, mm-hmm. Latino voters, and black voters wanted that issue to be addressed in a humane way. Yeah. Well, uh, let's let's dig into some of those issues that we were talking about earlier. I know we we brought up the the migrant crisis, but bring us properly up to speed, Alden, about where things stand right now. Well, I mean, <laughs> we we we're literally kind of taking kind of a band aid yeah. approach to this. I know uh, Title Forty Two expired mm-hmm. th- uh, this past week, right? And uh, interestingly, uh, you know, one of the headlines in the news uh, this morning was that uh, at least in the very short term. They have not seen the dramatic increase in people approaching the borders seeking asylum as they thought once that once that law expired. So uh, on some level, considering this crisis, some would would argue that maybe that's a a little bit of a a breather. But uh, but regardless, we have literally tens of thousands of migrants at the border in states like Colorado. I'm sorry, states like Texas and states like Florida. Uh, and then they have they have pushed farther in, and so we're getting busloads of folks from from Texas and Colorado in particular, and so the city's handling those as best they can. They've set up makeshift uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, places for to receive them, and then they've been literally day to day looking for places where folks can be sheltered, and uh, it's a piecemeal approach. Uh, there is, uh, you know, in a way we've got a, a plethora of facilities. Um, and so it's a matter of negotiating and getting clearance. But this neighborhood by neighborhood approach, I think, can wear thin. And mm. so from Avondale to Woodlawn to other places, there are folks and for different reasons to some degree who are saying, you know, we want to help migrants. So they've, they've responded to the polls. But right. when when the migrants are, are coming on their back, you know, on, onto, onto their doorsteps, that's yeah. when it right. feels a little different. And so uh, so this question around can we found a central place where we can house a mass number of folks who are there, provide care to them, counsel, so on and so forth, is an idea that I think is one that really the city needs to grapple and take take issue of because I think we're going to run out of neighborhoods that are going to be uh, welcoming to an extent where you know, they won't feel they won't feel strained. Absolutely. And it's just not cost effective either. Right. You're trying to provide services all over the city as opposed to one central location. Mm-hmm. For providing services, I think, would be more cost-effective for the city. Absolutely. All right, folks. Up next, Brandon Johnson is going to be sworn in as the 57th mayor of Chicago. We're going to bring you his inaugural address live here on WBEZ, followed by more analysis. Let's listen. Uh, look out, boy. <laughs> this day was coming, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Raise your right hand and repeat after me, inserting your name at the appropriate time. I, and state your name. I, Brandon Johnson. Do solemnly swear. Do solemnly swear. That I will support the Constitution of the United States. That I will support the Constitution of the United States. And the Constitution of the State of Illinois. And the Constitution of the State of Illinois. And that I will. That I will. Faithfully discharge the duties. 
faithfully discharge the duties. The office of mayor. The office of mayor. Of the city of Chicago. City of Chicago. According to the best of my ability. According to the best of my ability. Sir, you are installed. <laughs> Love you, brother. You take care of it, man. Yes, God sir. be with you here. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Please. Thank you. Please be seated. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here today. I am truly humbled and honored to stand before you as the 57th mayor of the greatest city in the world. And I truly believe that. It's not just the incredible natural beauty of our city as you look out over Lake Michigan. It's not just the outstanding food from pizza to Italian beef to the vegetarian tacos. <laughs> it's not just our art and music that pushes the boundaries and redefines genres. I believe what truly makes us great is our people. And not just the names that show up in our history books, but the ones that show up in our schools, on the beat, at the work site, at the concert hall, and of course in the boardrooms, and of course at the respite center, looking out for strangers in need. Chicagoans, we show up. And we have leaders who show up too. And that's why I'm grateful that we have Governor J.B. Pritzker, Lieutenant Governor Juliana Stratton, Senator Dick Durbin, Senator Tammy Duckworth, Senate President Don Harmon, the first black speaker, House Speaker, Chris Welch, our entire congressional delegation, Cook County Board President Tony Preckwinkle, the members of the General Assembly, and of course my former colleagues at the Cook County Board, and to every other elected leader who was here today, thank you for your service and thank you for being here. And to the city treasurer, Melissa Conyers-Irvin, and the city clerk, Anna Valencia, congratulations on your inaugurations. I look forward to serving with both of you and building a stronger city together. And to the members of the city council, and especially the 13 newly elected alderpersons, congratulations. This is your day two, and you deserve recognition, and I'm going to turn around and clap for them.
I want to make this clear. The people of Chicago are counting on us to work together, to collaborate to make their lives better every day. Now, we won't always agree, but I won't ever question your motives or your commitment, and I'll always do my part to find common ground. I'd like to thank Mayor Lori Lightfoot and her leadership of our city through turbulent times. Let us not forget that Mayor Lightfoot made history twice as the first black woman and the first openly gay LGBTQ mayor. And in doing so, she broadened the imagination of so many young people across this city, including my daughter. Lori, I am grateful to you for your service and your sacrifice. And to my extended family here today, y'all didn't know how many cousins I had until I ran for mayor. You're listening to WBEZ Chicago, WBEQ Morris, WBEK Kankakee. But also my three children, Owen, Ethan, and Brayden, and of course my wife, Stacy. None of this will be possible or mean nearly as much without you. And of course, you all know I got to brag a little bit about my wife. Because I may be getting inaugurated, but Stacy is the one making history today as the first black first lady in the history of Chicago. Stacy, your love and care for Chicago is only dwarfed by your love for our family. Thank you for everything that you do every single day and everything you will do for Chicago. Now, look, I'll be honest with you all. This is still very, very humbling for me because I have to tell you, growing up, I never imagined I could be on a stage like this. Growing up one of 10 in a working class family, it teaches you a lot about things. (laughs) But I never could have foreseen this. Now, make no mistake about it, that doesn't mean that I'm not prepared. (laughs) In fact, I think often about my upbringing and the lessons that my parents and my siblings instilled. My mother is not here today. She's an ancestor. But my mother had the biggest heart of anyone that I know. She always made room for one more at the table. A cousin. (laughs) 
a neighbor, someone in need of a warm meal and a warm embrace. She taught me to love people. And that's ultimately the reason I stand before you today. And I can feel your woman, Jean Johnson, in this room. Now, my father is here. He taught me what it means to work hard and to be accountable. This brother worked three jobs. Now, he was a carpenter and a pastor. You understand the pressure growing up in a house when your father is just like Jesus? <laughs> I've learned my core values of hard work and accountability and love that form the foundation for my approach to public service. And now I stand before you today as the new mayor of the nation's third largest city. A place where to hope and to have opportunity. It's been here for decades, met with the promise and the possibility that only a place like Chicago can provide. There is something special about this city. I like to call it the soul of Chicago. Karen Clark Shear, this is where I believe in our faith tradition, we start to say, I think I feel my help coming. <laughs> it is alive in each and every one of us here today, and it's always been the strong in the heart of everyone who has ever called this land home. I'm talking about the soul of Chicago. It's alive in the hearts of the Miami, the Salk, the Potawatomi, who lived on this land for centuries. The soul of Chicago sent a black Haitian man named Jean-Baptiste Point de Sabo to establish a city at the mouth of the Chicago River. It was alive in the hearts of tens of thousands who arrived here in the Great Migration, including my grandparents, who came to Chicago in search of a home. They injected the soul, the rhythm, combined with the traditions, the traditions of the South, like the blues and, of course, the new cadence, making Chicago the center of both black enterprise and black freedom struggles. It is the soul of Chicago that brought immigrants from all over the world to work, to organize, to build the first skyscraper, to flee persecution in one country and create an entire industry in another country, including one of the largest hospitality companies in the world. I'm talking about the soul of Chicago. Because that same soul spurred two immigrants from Guatemala, to Humble Park, where they raised a daughter named Delia Ramirez. Who would grow up to make our city proud as a member of the United States Congress. Congresswoman Ramirez was born in the same public hospital where I, a child of the Great Migration, received life-saving asthma treatment. I'm talking about the soul of Chicago. That, my friends, is the rich soul of Chicago. That soul is what strikes me today. 
I'm marveling. You're listening to 91.5 WBEZ. This is live special coverage of Chicago Mayor Brandon Johnson delivering his inaugural address. Because if you didn't know, now you know. (laughs) I'm marveling not just at the peaceful transfer of power or the miracle of American democracy or the grand tradition of Chicago elections. It is how much we all share. I'm struck by how much work it took to bring us to this moment. How many decades of slow grinding progress. Think about the labor movement, which produced luminaries like my mentor and dear sister, Karen Lewis. Who modeled true social justice unionism and helped lead the multiracial multicultural working class movement that organized its way to this moment. The same labor movement that raised wages, established the 40-hour work week, and built the middle class in this city. From the civil rights movement, embodied by our very own brother, Reverend Jesse Jackson Sr., which abolished racial segregation in our laws and gave us the Voting Rights Act. From the woman's right movement, led by Chicago's Jane Adams and Ida B. Wells, which ensured women would participate fully in every part of civil life. In fact, we all are here because of the work of giants who came before us and without whom this day would not be possible. I bring that up because so often in politics, we think and talk and argue about the things that divide us. I want to be clear about something. Those divisions are real. They are. Many people who love our city deeply have radically different ideas about how to confront the shared challenges that we face. It's true. Y'all know we need revenue. We have a structural deficit. And we have to invest in people. And we have to do that without breaking the backs of working people with fines, fees, and property taxes. make people feel bad because they have a payment plan? You can't stop someone with a payment plan from becoming mayor of the city of Chicago.
Oh, my help is coming this morning. <laughs> but too many Chicagoans, though, fear for their safety. And when they walk down the streets to get groceries or drive to the gas station, because our city's homicide and violent crime rates have consistently outpaced our peer cities. Our public transit is unreliable and unsafe, so much so that many parents refuse to let their children ride, even when the CTA could be the pathway to opportunity and enrichment. Rent in Chicago continues to go up year after year after year, while the development of both affordable and market-rate housing stagnates. And as a result, too many in our city go to sleep unhoused, and too few families know the security of owning their own home. Our downtown commercial corridors still bear the scars of the pandemic with higher vacancy rates and lower foot traffic, and of course our neighborhoods, particularly those on the south and west side, have still not tasted the fruits of the investments that they demand and deserve. Our schools call out for more resources to fulfill their mandate of providing every single child in our city with a world-class education that meets their specific needs. And despite the trauma these challenges produce, too few can rely on the consistent access to mental health care that they desperately need. But as we debate and discuss the solutions to these crises, I want to remind us that we have the real conversation. And that conversation is about the soul of Chicago. It's alive. It's alive and well in each and every one of us. We have so much in common, you all. We really do. And we know that we all suffer when these ills are allowed to fester and grow. These problems don't just affect particular neighborhoods, one community, or an ethnic group. It affects all of us. You know, the tears of Adam Toledo, his parents, the tears of Adam Toledo's parents are made of the same sorrow as the parents of Officer Preston's parents.
Officer Preston's tragic death at the age of 24, just last week, reminds us what is really at stake. When we talk about the future of Chicago, we have to be, we have to be very clear about what's at stake because she joined the Chicago Police Department for the very same reason that I ran to become the next mayor of the city of Chicago. She believed that through public service, she could be a conduit for justice. To the family of Officer Preston, my heart is with you and know we will be with you every step of the way. Thank you for sharing your extraordinary daughter with the city of Chicago. Now, thank you. Honoring public servants like Officer Preston means truly addressing the challenges that we face. But the only way that we can truly confront and address those challenges is by working together and coming together. Now, we can't do it in a phony way, in an artificial way that pretends that differences don't exist. But I'm talking about in a deeper way, a deeper way that acknowledges the strength of what makes this city so strong and great. I'm talking about a strength that binds us in the face of our unique perspectives. All of us in this room today, all of us in this room today are the product of our own stories. And each and every one of us has a story to not only tell, but lift up. And all of us in this room have the ability to take action, to be the courageous men and women who came before us. And that means, that means right now, we get to write the story of our children's and our grandchildren's futures. And we get to do that together. And what will that story say? What will it say? That Chicago, with its sturdy shoulders, and its diverse economy and the legacy of all of our generosity was too afraid to stand up? Is that what our story will say? Thank you. We get to tell a different story. I'm talking about a story that, again, that binds us together. We don't want our story to be told that we were unable to house the unhoused or provide a safe harbor for those who are seeking refuge here.
because there's enough room for everyone in the city of Chicago, whether you are seeking asylum or you are looking for a fully funded neighborhood. You're tuned in to 91.5 WBEZ, and you're listening to live special coverage of Chicago Mayor Brandon Johnson delivering his inaugural address. We don't want our story to, t- to say that we did not invest in all of the people and all of the communities that make our city great. We don't want that to be our story. Cannot afford to get it wrong, Chicago. We don't want Chicago that has been overwhelmed by the traumatization of violence and despair that our residents felt no hope or no choice but to leave, shrinking our economy and making it difficult for this city to remain a world-class city. We don't want that, Chicago. Our city gets to be as big as its promises. Our city gets to be as wide as our neighborhoods across this city. All 77 neighborhoods. That's the story. It's our neighborhoods. I'm breathing it in, you all. I'm just breathing it in. And so again, I'll repeat it again. We don't want our story to be that Chicago became so traumatized by violence and despair that our residents felt no other choice but to leave. And so what better day is ahead, Chicago? Our stories get to reach well beyond this moment. They do. And I'm grateful that I will be working with a body of government that is committed to that transformation. But here's the thing, no, it won't be. That will not be our story, not on my watch. Because we right now together are committing ourselves to writing a different future. As a pastor's son, I'm reminded of a scripture, Matthew 6, 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And let's show the world, Chicago, where our heart is. Let's build a Chicago that is the economic marvel of our state, the Midwest, and this nation. Let's build a Chicago that means that our economy gets to grow by rerouting the rivers of prosperity to the banks of disinvestment so that no one goes thirsty. Too much of our land is dry right now, and we have to change that, and we can. See, I live 
in one of those drier communities. The beautiful Austin neighborhood on the mighty west side of Chicago. And the very fact that the mayor of Chicago lives in one of the most disinvested and violent communities in the city, it shows us what's possible. So let's not be discouraged by what it is. Let's make sure that we never stop imagining of what it could be. So we'll create a Chicago where the big development projects get done. The poor have a pathway out of poverty and large events like the Democratic National Convention that will generate a vitality in every single neighborhood that that gets done where our cultural institutions, whether it's our sporting events, hotels, and our world-class restaurants are supported, promoted, and accessible, not just to those from every corner of the world, but for those from every corner of the city. By imagining what is possible, by doing this, we can create a prosperous city which no one is too poor to live in one of the richest cities in one of the wealthiest countries at the richest time in the history of the world. And so that means, I'm talking about a Chicago where 65,000 people don't wake up on, on the streets or in a shelter. Where public housing and affordable housing and a pathway to home ownership exists for everyone. I'm talking about a city where it will no longer be the case where every network dollar belonging to a white family, where only eight cents belongs to a brown family and only one cent belongs to a black family. We can do it, Chicago. We can bring Chicago home. My family is living proof of the type of transformation that can happen with real investments. We'll create a Chicago where pathways to college and the high-tech industries and the future exist alongside the pathways to the trades and apprenticeships and the arts, where every young person has a chance to pursue their passion and get a W-2, where business, community, labor, philanthropy work together to connect every young person to an opportunity to fulfill their potential, where we introduce these opportunities to young people as young as six, seven, and eight years old and open up their minds to a world that could be. I'm talking about the soul of Chicago. And so Gary, Bob, Jim, Don, we need your leadership. Richard, Marty, Linda, we need your business expertise. G2, Tanya, Andrea, and Oscar, we need your organizing and relationships. And so listen, this is not a call out. This is what organizers refer to as a call in. And I'm talking about calling in the wisdom of the soul of Chicago, calling in the compassion of the soul of Chicago, calling in the expertise I'm talking about calling in every single person in the city of Chicago to build a city that works for everyone. So let's get to work where we double the amount of young people that we hire. Some say that we have to wait 20 years for the efforts to pay dividends. I don't believe that. We can change lives of people in Chicago right now. 
So let's show our heart is in our young people's education. Let's create a public education system that resources children based on need and not just on numbers. Where every single child in every neighborhood, whether they fill out an application or not, whether they are bilingual or not, special needs or not, has access to a world-class education. Let's have a system that respects its parents educators and school employees where the president of the Chicago Teachers Union and SEIU Local 73 and the CEO of the Chicago Public Schools can work together to advocate for more resources for all of our children. So, Stacy, Diane, Pedro, I need you. We can do this together. Tony and Juan, let's do the same thing for city colleges, which should be a gateway to opportunity for all of our neighborhoods. And so while we're at it, let's work together to make sure that there is child care for all, for every single person in the city of Chicago. So Greg, Erica, Maggie, and Mr. Governor, let's do it. Let's do it together. I want to work with you to make sure that we are providing support for working parents and giving children the nourishment that they need from day one. And how about we also create a Chicago where the hundreds of thousands suffering from episodic mental health receive treatment and not trauma. This is 91.5 WBEZ. You're listening to live special coverage of Chicago Mayor Brandon Johnson delivering his inaugural address. Because people like my late brother Leon, who died addicted and unhoused, if only there was treatment. I want to make sure that no one ever has to suffer because they do not have access to mental health services. And people have told us no for too long. It's a matter of life and death. So let's bring together the private sector, the public sector, the county, the state, and the federal government to find the best solutions for delivering these services, including reopening our mental health care centers across the city of Chicago. So let's get to work, Chicago. Cheryl, Rosanna, President Preckwinkle, and Roberta, we need your leadership. Let's get this right for future generations. Here, I actually believe we can even do something really bold and fix our public transportation system. We can secure safety and convenience for cyclists while making significant investments in the reliability, the safety, and the connectivity of our buses and trains in every single neighborhood. These investments won't just benefit our economy, they'll result in a safer, more livable city for all of us. And once and for all, let's create a safer Chicago. A safe Chicago means a safe Chicago for all. No matter what you look like, who you love, or where you live. 
We'll do it together by investing in people. We'll invest in housing, mental health, and youth jobs and higher wages and real economic development in every community. We'll do it by supporting law enforcement, especially those who are serving on the front lines. That means providing them with direct lines of supervision, clear expert expectations for their work, and equal opportunities for advancement and strong ac accountability and support for every stakeholder in this city. Our faith leaders, our philanthropic institutions, our business community, violence interrupters, researchers, educators, coaches, counselors, it's going to take all of us. Not one of us can sit down in order to make a better, stronger, safer Chicago. I'm counting on the entire city to deliver on this. And so, you all know we have no time to spare. As I speak, a group of philanthropic and business leaders are partnering to increase the resources for community youth programming between when school lets out and the Chicago Park District programs begin. And to provide more safe opportunities for young people during Memorial Day weekend and the 4th of July. It's not just up to Fred Waller and his officers, it is up to all of us. So Charles, Abby, and Andrea, thank you. Let's keep pushing to build a safer Chicago. And speaking of the right thing to do, the soul of Chicago tells us we will never close our doors to those who come here in search of a better life. For as scripture says, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. That has always been the soul of Chicago and it will always be the soul of Chicago. We know the strength of a city is determined by how we treat the most vulnerable. And so we choose to be a strong city. We must reject a zero-sum formulation between investing in those who have been here for decades and supporting those who have been sit here on a bus even this morning. We can do both, Chicago. And we can all thrive together. I stand before you today deeply optimistic about the future, not because I'm ignorant of the challenges, but because I'm deeply aware of our history. From the great Chicago fire, to the red summer of 2019, to the 1968 riots, to now the aftermath of pandemic and unrest, our city has faced enormous challenges before, and every challenge has also been hidden within it tremendous opportunity. As history has shown us that when we come together, we show up with the belief of what unites us and how powerful our differences are. And the differences is what makes us the amazing city that we are. 
There is no limit, Chicago, to what we can achieve when we do it together. And we can, and we will deliver for every single person in the city of Chicago. I say this today with a deep belief and conviction that our best and brighter days are ahead of us. We can lead Chicago to a new era. Together, we can build a better, stronger, safer Chicago. We just have to look deep into the soul of Chicago. Can I get a witness? As Reverend Meek said, are you with me or am I by myself? I'm talking about the soul of Chicago. Whether you live in Jefferson Park or Morgan Park or McKinley Park or Gage Park or in Humble Park, I'm talking about a revival in the city of Chicago where the soul of Chicago comes alive. A brand new Chicago is in front of us. I can't wait to continue to lead this city towards a future that generations to come will look back and see the soul of Chicago that has made it possible for posterity. Thank you all. My name is Brandon Johnson, and I am the 57th mayor of the city of Chicago. We're back now with more Reset. I'm your host, Sasha Ann Simons. As you've been hearing on WBEZ, Brandon Johnson is now officially the 57th mayor of Chicago. Now, moments ago, he took the oath of office and delivered his inaugural address, where he talked about a lot of things, his upbringing and humble beginnings. He discussed key moments in Chicago history, and as well as his hope and pride in the city. All of Chicago. That, my friends is the rich soul of Chicago. That soul is what strikes me today. We've been hearing updates from the UIC campus where the ceremony is now wrapping up and we've been getting expert reaction and analysis from Jaime Dominguez, a professor at Northwestern University. Connie Mixon, a professor of political science and director of the Urban Studies Program at Elmhurst University, and Alden Lowry, WBEZ's data projects editor. Thanks for sticking around, folks. Absolutely. Appreciate you being here. So we just heard his speech. Wow, that went on for just under 40 minutes. (laughs) What did you think, Connie? Well, it was certainly inspirational. And you mentioned that theme, the soul of Chicago was repeated over and over again. There were broad progressive themes, a lot from his campaign, housing, public transit, mental health, education. He invoked scripture twice. Um, There were some olive branches out to the business community. He talked about a diverse economy, the need to compete globally. He repetitively used the term world-class city, which struck me because that is a term that was first used by Mayor Richard M. Daley and then Rahm Emanuel. They use mm. this very frequently. We look at it in our book in um, 21st Century Chicago, how that kept coming up. So it was interesting that Brandon Johnson used that term. Um, you know, he covered, you know, the history all the way from, you know, Native Americans. And then at the end was talking about the 1968 riots and the pandemic. One line that I really appreciated as a political science professor was when he said through that public service can serve as a conduit for social justice and the value and importance of public service. And so it was a call for public service and for all Chicagoans to come together to achieve the greatness that 
the potential that Chicago has. Yeah, yeah, that, that's a very good point, Connie. I mean, and as you said, I mean, he took us from the founding of Chicago. Right. <laughs> uh, we went through the Great Migration. He talked about the women's movement. We Just so much historical context in that speech. But, of course, it came all the way back to that phrase that we heard so much, which was the soul of Chicago. I mean, what message yeah. do you think Mayor Johnson's trying to send? Uh, that he, Chicago is, is resilient. It's a resilient place uh, where change happens, social change, cultural change, um, political change. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple of things that stood out for me is, um, you know, he, he also he talked about investment um, and he kept going back to investing in young people. So I think, uh, you know, really trying to bring attention that um, that's a lot of uh, capital, right, that the city perhaps hasn't really invested in. And that's something that he wants to do. It's very clear from from his speech that he's a great communicator. I mean, he's gifted with that. Uh, and so for me also, um, I was happy to see him also um, mention law enforcement because we know he took a lot of heat for that. Yeah. And given the ways in which, uh, you know, uh, what has transpired in Chicago in terms of perhaps the, uh, um, the splinter relationship between minority communities and law enforcement, I think he really wants to tried to provide kind of a bridge for those two communities. So I thought that that was good in terms of him uh, doing that. Also, I like the fact that he says, uh, although, you know, it's, it's one thing to think about it conceptually, but then it's different when you implement it, but this idea of a zero-sum formulation, right, and proposing and implementing public policy, mm-hmm. right, that, uh, we don't, that we don't always have to see the lenses through that either, it's either this or that. Um, and last thing I would just say is that it's very clear that um, he is – showing that right governance and I wrote it down here governance is a herculean effort that's going to require the efforts of all Chicagoans due to the myriad interests that it represents and so we're all not going to get everything we want but at the end of the day it's mm. about moving the city forward right uh you know if it's the next day then you're one day uh more advanced than you were before so i think that's important and he yeah. and he and he showed i think strength and again this idea that he's going to be decisive in terms of the different decisions that he makes yeah, on that note, I mean, so many quotables, Alden, from from that speech. One that stood out to me very early on when he said, you know, I, I never imagined when I was growing up being on a stage like this. And he says, he riffs on, on that mm-hmm. thought and then says, but make no mistake, that does not mean I am not prepared, right, to some laughter from the crowd. But what stood out to you? Uh, that statement stood out to me, uh, this notion that uh, while I am kind of new to this, this world is new to me. Uh, I'm ready for this moment. And um, uh, the uh, the soul of Chicago, of course, resonating throughout the speech, uh, to me, felt like a, a way for him to say, hey, look, uh, another line he mentioned where he said, our, our divisions are real. You know, he's like, you know, let's not sugarcoat this. We do see things differently. Um, and that is part of our challenge. Mm-hmm. But you know, kind of bringing everybody back to this this soul of Chicago thing that, you know, we're, you know, collectively we are what makes this city great. Um, it's gone through all these things. And he, he gave us a literally a, a history book lesson of that. Sure did. Um, but um, but uh, but but we are all still bound by that. And uh, and so it, from that to uh, the call out or the call in, as, as he, he talked about it in, in, uh, in the uh, kind of uh, activism vernacular. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he mentioned a ton of names, um, uh, people who are in positions of authority that he is saying, hey, we are going to have to work together and we may not see this on the same level. Uh, we may not uh, agree, 
but together we can do this. And I want to say that was one of his kind of closing themes, like together mm-hmm. we can make Chicago the city that we want it to be. Uh, so th- those are some of the things that stood out to me. Uh, a couple other things I'll just mention. So he was long on a lot of you know, possibilities yes. and vision uh, and not very much. And we didn't expect that he would get to very particulars. But I did take note of the notion he talked about the philanthropic community and the business community kind of coming together, kind of help bridge this gap in mm-hmm. terms of uh, school programs for youth and park programs in terms of the, the, the distance between them and them kind of filling in that gap, which I thought was notable. The other thing, um, very eloquent uh, uh, mention of Adam Toledo's parents and Officer Preston's yes. parents, which I thought was a, a, a really good kind of... Really masterful way of putting those putting, two, putting those two, two together. together. And the same... Was well, the same tears of sorrow are are, are are felt by both of those sets of parents. Parents, yeah. Uh, and then he also talked about law enforcement. He talked about the things that law enforcement needed. And he talked about they need direct supervision. They need a clear expectations of what is, 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 is sought from them. Yeah. And they need opportunities for advancement. And then he mentioned accountability. And so those first three bullet points, I thought, speak very directly to what the rank and file really talk about what they need. And I, I think perhaps, hopefully, Speaking uh, to terms like that, to issues like that, uh, will help bridge that gap that the mayor's office has has had with law enforcement. We talk about communities, and, yeah. and their their rift. There's also been a rift between the the mayor's seat and uh, and the rank and file officers. Well, I'm glad yeah. you brought us there, Alden, because we actually do have uh, some sound of, of that moment uh, in Johnson's speech. Let's listen. You know the tears of Adam Toledo, his parents. Tears of Adam Toledo's parents are made of the same sorrow as the parents of Officer Preston's parents. Yeah, so uh, of course, there, as Alden mentioned, he's talking about uh, Ariana Preston, a, a 24 year old off duty Chicago yeah. police officer who was just killed in, in Avalon Park last week, um, supporting law enforcement, building trust between the community and police officers. That'll all be a major challenge that he's going to face in office. How can he mend these relationships, Connie? You know, it will be tough. Um, I think he's trying to put people in place in his administration to mend those relationships. When it comes to public safety You know, his choice of the interim police superintendent is somebody that seems to be well-respected amongst the rank and file. Um, There's a lot of pressure to choose somebody from within CPD as the permanent superintendent. I think that will go a long way. It's speeches like this. It's reaching out to the community. It's showing people that he cares and that he listens. Mm -hmm. And that will make a huge difference and go a long way that he's accessible and doesn't necessarily, you know, just command from top down, but listens from the bottom up as well. We'll go a long way. Um, and hopefully we have the patience as citizens yeah. in the city of Chicago to to let Brandon Johnson have a chance. That'll be key. Yeah. If you're just tuning in, this is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and we're talking about the inauguration of Brandon Johnson as Chicago's new mayor. Also, what lies ahead for his administration? With us in studio are Northwestern's Jaime Dominguez, Elmhurst's Connie Mixon, and WBEZ's Alden Lowry. So Johnson is only the third black mayor of Chicago, and he made sure to acknowledge Lightfoot's historic tenure as well and the effect that she's had. Let's listen. I'd like to thank Mayor Lori Lightfoot and her leadership of our city 
through turbulent times. Let us not forget that Mayor Lightfoot made history twice as the first black woman and the first openly gay LGBTQ mayor. And in doing so, she broadened the imagination of so many young people across this city, including my da daughter. Lori, I am grateful to you for your service and your sacrifice. That was a nice moment, uh, wouldn't you say? Yeah, paying respect. Yeah, um, yeah, it was a really nice moment. Yeah. Um, I loved also when he uh, shouted out his wife as the the first, <laughs> yeah, uh, first black, lady, first first black first lady. What's well, uh, important for to stress city. that? I think it's very very important. Okay, so. Stacy Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> um, he gave shout outs to Illinois leadership J.B. Pritzker, Senators Durbin and Duckworth, Tony Preckwinkle. And so many others. I, I feel like everybody got a shout out. Everybody yeah. who voted for him got a shout out. Um, he said he looks forward to, to working with state and city leadership to, to build a better Chicago. Remind us, Alden, what is his relationship like with the governor? Um, I'm not terribly well versed on on that. Um, I know that he comes out of kind of the Tony Preckwinkle political family, okay. uh, essentially. And so he's got strong ties there. Of course, he's been time with the uh, with the county uh, with the county board. Uh, and then as a, you know, his in his kind of uh, professional development, uh, you know, his time as a, as an organizer. And so he's, you know, deeply connected to uh, the activism world and uh, in particular uh, the education activism and um, Chicago um, teacher. Yeah. Community. And I would just say I think it was important. I'm glad that he uh, acknowledged um, all the individuals that you just mentioned, Sasha, because yes. uh, these are important actors that are going to be critical and important at each step of the way as he goes uh as 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 the mayor when he starts to to govern for sure uh but again it's all about consensus building and support and sometimes you need those individuals who can you know uh what the uh now it's a, a phone but a text right and they'll they'll, they'll respond to it and they'll listen and they can put something together and have a conversation that perhaps otherwise wouldn't happen yeah um, because he's new and he doesn't really know hasn't had that that um his infrastructure is just not there he's gonna he's gradually building it and we'll build it yeah we, we also know that he uh he just recently went down to, to springfield Right. And, right. and it was um, working with Springfield. Of course, we know that's going to be really important to get things done on the fifth floor at, at City Hall. So it's, it's all going to go. Right. And a lot hand. of a lot of his revenue sources that he was, you know, calling for during the campaign can't just be done by him or even with city council. They need state or federal approval. Mm -hmm. And in particular, Governor Pritzker told him that his financial transaction tax yeah, was a no go from yeah. the get go. Um, so it, you know, he's certainly going to have to do some lobbying in Springfield, particularly on the education front, mm. um, in terms of funding CPS, oh, yeah. CPS has got a huge structural deficit and they're going to have to go to the state for more money to close that deficit. He also said in his speech, I will always do my best to find common ground. Now, when he won, uh, in early April, this same panel talked about how he had a gap to bridge, right? And we've talked about it today. We talked about what it would take for him to reach the people that didn't vote for him. I mean, is he ready to bridge that gap now, you think? And what would it take? Well, I think like today, just on, the, on, the, on his speech, it's on the issue of law enforcement, acknowledging that, wanting to have a, a, a police force, a, a lean, efficient police force that works for the city and who is going to have the public trust. And so I think uh, for him... Uh, that's one way I think of him. On one hand, 
right, uh, helping to reduce perhaps the criticism that he's gotten that he's not supportive of law enforcement, but at the same time, uh, bringing accountability to that phenomenon because I think that's very, very important. And so that um, could be something that uh, from the get-go perhaps mm. could give him a, a, a jump on that on that, on that that narrative, right? Yeah. It was city council. Um, there were several alder persons, um, Brendan Riley, Brian Hopkins, Matt O'Shea, that all endorsed Paul Vallis in the runoff. But under Johnson's unity plan, they all get – chair positions in the new city council. So yeah. that is one way of trying to bridge maybe some of those differences. But remember, he didn't, you know, he didn't, it's not a mandate that he has. It was a close election right. between him and him and Vallis in the runoff. Let's hear some some moments of humor were injected throughout this, but one in particular had me hollering. You can't make people feel bad because they have a payment plan. You can't stop someone with a payment plan for becoming mayor of the city of Chicago. <laughs> oh, that was so funny to me. I mean, he's <laughs> taking a jab, of course, for those who aren't familiar. At the criticism that he faced earlier, this was regarding unpaid, what, what was it, a water bill, yeah, right? I yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, do you think he got the last word here, folks? Yeah. I'm just like you. Was this the mic drop? I'm just, yeah. It's like, I'm yeah. just like you, you know. Yeah, pretty um, good touche. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I think everybody can, can can relate to that. You know, things are, things are uh, financial times are tough right now, and I think we can all, I know I can, uh, relate to that. Yeah, for sure. Something else he said, he said, this city is big enough for everyone if you're seeking asylum or you're looking for fully funded neighborhoods. Um, and he later quoted scripture saying, you know, he will not turn people away. I, one of those moments you noted, right, Connie? Right. Yeah, several times that he did. And I mean, that was, you know, the broad theme and talking about his father, right? Yeah. Who was, and there was another funny line there about his father, who was a minister and also a carpenter, a carpenter said, just like imagine, Jesus. Imagine growing up, <laughs> right. your father is just like Jesus. Yep. Right. <laughs> right? Yep. Uh, he talked as well about uh, divisions, as we said. He, you know, what he said was that we have a, a lot more in common. Than we think. I think that was his his thread throughout. He said he underscored this point by uh, he reminded us about two losses that the city saw. Let's listen. Okay, I think we lost that clip here. But uh, let's jump back to something you brought up early on, Connie. With that that world class mention, right? Mm -hmm. He touched on building a world class educational system in Chicago. He talked about providing childcare for all, fixing the city's public transportation system. Any surprises around the room here on the, the big ideas? that Johnson decided to include today? Um, no, I think um, on, on that point about the, you know, uh, be, being a first-class kind of world city, I think, again, that's something that Chicago has historically prided itself on. And so I think uh, him mentioning it, I think, was also a way for him to, to reach out, I think, to the business class, the business elites who were not on board with, with his campaign, that he, he has the same interests that they do in terms of, again, trying to create a, a sound, robust economic infrastructure that's going to benefit mm -hmm. not just the developers or elected officials, but, but everybody, right? Yeah. And so I, I thought for him, it was very, very important to him to, to, to stress that. Anyone surprised about anything he did not include in today's speech? Anything jump out at you, Alden? I w as I was listening, I was saying to myself, "Okay, when we come back, I like he's going to get to there's something that maybe he missed. I'm I'm not sure he missed anything. Okay. I mean, he he talked. I mean, uh, in 38 minutes. It, yeah, that's a lot of time to. to I would touch hope on. he hit all the right, points. Right, right, right. 
Um, uh, it wasn't a surprise, I, but he, him talking very directly about mental health centers um, uh, and, and stating very explicitly wanting to, to reopen those centers. And I know that's been a, a talking point during the campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, one of the things, they, well, one of the things he didn't mention necessarily was how he was going to do some of these things. And so if the real estate transfer tax is a no-go, um, uh, if the financial transactions tax, which I know Mayor Lightfoot did not pull through either, that's a, a, also a no-go. I'm glad you brought up finances. Let's listen to a little bit of him talking about the financial issues the city's got. Y'all know we need revenue. We have a structural deficit. And... We have to invest in people. And we have to do that without breaking the backs of working people with fines, fees, and property taxes. Yeah, so he's talking there about addressing Chicago's structural deficit as well as investing in people. Yeah, and and so if if we don't lean on uh, resources like the fines and fees, which mm-hmm. I, I think most Chicagoans would celebrate. Um, and we're not going to be able to go after these huge pots of uh, these taxes that were seen as huge victories in order to generating revenue for a lot of the social programs that, that, that many have called for. We know, how do we get there? And, and that is not an easy question to figure out. Mm-hmm. And so the, you know, that's, that's going to be the mayor's main, main stumbling block to, to get accomplished a lot of these things. It's great that we philosophically agree with some of these things, but you know, where's the money going to come from to pay for them? Well, right. and, and I think it's important to recognize that Lori Lightfoot, more so than any other mayor, closed that deficit as opposed to when she came into office, what was it, 800 million deficit, and now it's down to 80. Lots of it was done with federal COVID money, but I think that's important to recognize that um, in terms of fiscally leaving the city in better shape than any of the previous mayors had is important. Well, we're just about out of time. Anyone got a final thought here? 57th mayor in office. Here we go. Soul of Chicago. (laughs) (laughs) The soul of Chicago. Your final thoughts, Jaime? Uh, He's up against a lot of challenges. but It's going to be the wait and see. But at the same time, I I like his enthusiasm. I like how he uh, uh, infused confidence in his ability to to govern. And I think that that's, you know, uh, half the battle sometimes of the things we do is having that confidence. And so I think that's very, very important. And it's very important for him to project that, particularly again as for as a mayor, for, uh, as a new mayor of Chicago, mm-hmm. and being in that position for the first time, are you pumped, Alden? I am. I, uh, there's energy there. There's yeah. humility there. Uh, there's thoughtfulness. Uh, the challenges are great, um, and there's charisma there. I think, if nothing else, for the next four years. We're going to have a lot of very fun, interesting, and engaging conversations. For sure. Well, our thanks to our panel here, Alden Lowry, Connie Mixon, and Jaime Dominguez. Thank you so much for sticking with us for the last two hours. My pleasure. Thank Thank you so much.